Hey there, Sean. Hey, Pierce. How's it going? It's pretty okay. All right. That means it's time for another episode of the It's Pretty Okay podcast. Let's do it. Let's start the show. have the day off because it's his birthday happy birthday max uh as we record this not as it comes out uh but i got... think he just didn't want to spend any time of the day with us i don't we didn't give him the day off he took the day off there's a big difference there <laughs> yeah he he seized the day back from us yeah. uh but but kevin is with us and uh the basketball playoffs are are rolling along a pace the the field is set for the conference finals and once again, the Philadelphia 76ers are not part of it. Yes. Um, I'm sort of... Uh, the conversation of Joel Embiid discuss is a matter for a different time. But I'm sad because I enjoy watching him play. And lots of people are very concerned about how much he falls and stuff. And what the long-term impact of that is. Impact on the team. Impact to him. Um, but I enjoy seeing him giving it all through uh, thumb injuries, back injuries, uh, his face being quite actually broken. Um, but it is such an interesting organization because they have gone through three general managers in the last, what, like three years, five years, um, with very different approaches to how you build a basketball team. You, yes, that is correct. Uh, and, and meanwhile, I'm over here, you know, not that I am a Miami Heat fan or anything, but I'm giddy that uh, that the Sixers are not moving on because as, as much enjoyment as I, even I, a, a noted hater, get out of watching Joel Embiid play, uh, I, I feel like... It's so I, I feel like his enjoyment is so my enjoyment of him is so tainted by how I feel about the way they've run that organization for the last like seven or eight years that like I don't enjoy him even when I am enjoying him. And, you know, it, it was ratcheted up to a, an even higher level this year when the, the Sixers waited way too long to trade Ben Simmons traded him for uh someone who who's you know the top line of his resume at this point is arguably aging strip club enthusiast as opposed to elite scoring guard uh in james harden and it's just like i, I don't know that's a I, very I, important uh voting demographic where i live i'll have you know so be careful <laughs> touche but i just I, it's i've reached a point with that organization where i take far more schadenfreude pleasure in seeing everything they try to do blow up in their faces than i get out of watching one of the i don't know five best players in the nba work and like from a a clinical standpoint like that's that's sad like that that's not how this is supposed to be. It's not how this is it's not how this should go. I should be able to enjoy 
Joel Embiid. Why can't I enjoy Joel Embiid? Yeah, I think that the thing too, and, and Kevin, I feel like this is the perfect transition to you and I's basketball fandom experience in a lot of ways, which is we know all about wasting youth and talent and talented youth because of gross mismanagement. And and it let's let's pause here and say aloud, it is good that we are holding management accountable and getting mad at them as opposed to to players. Um and and I think that the thing, Kevin, that I think is unique is we do have high expectations for for someone like Daryl Morey and for that matter the Colangelos the Colangeli um, who preceded him at the 76ers um, so like it's one thing when Ernie Grunfeld who I think the Wizards should rehire so that they can fire him again um, <laughs> I, it's one thing when you see it there but I mean Kevin when you see these organizations and these these this management that you do have expectations of and they screw it up like wh- what is the thought process there? I think that a general that you making me think about the the Grunfeld days. What is kind of coming to me is that it seems like these guys mostly have this view, and they have some incredible inability to ever change their mind about about anything. Mm-hmm. So, like in the in the Maury case, it is this love of James Harden and in the Hinky case, which is where this all started was the, you know, everyone knows the Hinky thing. They lose spectacularly on purpose to get, to get the big draft picks. Um, and they did it for a really long time and it, you know, they got Joel and beat and that's about it. Um, and it was just like an inability for him to change his mind. He kept taking these centers. He, you know, there's, like, well, the math will work out. Um, and then in Grunfeld, it was just this, this, I, I don't know, this weird thing of just paying guys that too much money that didn't really like not being able to take enough of a modern view of things. So, um, you know, he's like, well, we've got these, we've got these young stars and we'll kind of just keep putting these old vets around them and it will eventually, you know, work out for us. And I think it's good that you mentioned that, Kevin. And and I do want to point out that uh, Sam Hinkie also did draft Ben Simmons. Now, the the unifying thing between Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, I would say, is they did not play for um, it. They each did not play the first year that they were quote unquote in the league, um, which is that's someone who is versus say I don't know signing a a uh, large uh, rotund Paul Pierce at a late stage in his career and deciding that that's how you're going to go to the playoffs. Um, you know, Hinky took a very long view, and I think what we're criticizing for Maury and sort of the Wizards, um, if we're even going to give that much credit for them having a point of view, is is the short-term views. And a lot of people are very critical of Sam Presti in um, Oklahoma City right now, who is willfully like sitting bad players so that he can bring up even worse players on 10 day contracts to end the season. And there has been much discussed of like rules were put in place to stop tanking, you know, so you can still plan long-term and know you will be bad in a season, but like there is a limit to how bad you can be. But even still it becomes a question of getting mad at management again. What are you supposed to do as a fan if they're not trying to win for a long ass time? Right. Because I, the 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 thing you, you 
you are correct to know that the NBA has taken some steps to try to cut down on tanking. But really, they're not trying to eliminate the practice. They're basically the impact of what they're doing between lottery reform in the last few years and the play in tournament is they're they're lessening the incentives for teams that are not essentially guaranteed to be among the worst five teams in the league. They're giving, you know, they're giving teams 15 through 25 a reason to actually try to win games as opposed to having eight teams tank. But short of, I don't know, short of something even more radical, those teams that are going to be truly putrid still have plenty of reason to engage in a pretty disgusting race to the bottom. And it's, I don't know, man, it's just, it sucks. It is, it is so hard because, you know, sports is arguably one of the, the places where this shows up the most often. Like you can't only take a short-term view, but you also can't only take a long-term view. Like, and, and this is the problem with the, you know, the Grunfeld wizards and the, you know, uh, Polinka slash James LA Lakers, you know, they're all short-term 100% mm -hmm. no future thinking whatsoever, you know, and, and you can sort of wrap your head around it with the Lakers where they have like a 38, you know, 37, 38 year old LeBron, like you're only getting two more years with him tops yeah. most likely. Well, and so like your, your team's future horizon is pretty damn short anyway. And there's kind of no excuse, right. So. And there's no excuse for that in the same way with those wizards teams. But the the process hinky Sixers and the current iteration of the uh, the Thunder are just playing one hundred percent for like five years from now. Only the problem is they just uh, you know the Thunder essentially keep resetting that window every year, yeah. and you know it's never. I don't know. I don't know that we have any reason to believe that that cycle is ever going to stop. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, it is getting, I, I think I, I, I'm, I've been guilty in the last couple of years of probably minimizing the, the thunder thing a little bit because I don't necessarily find Presty quite so odious as I found Sam Hankey, but like it's getting pretty, hinky-ish it's it they're essentially you know for like half the season are trotting out a team that wouldn't even win the g league and you can't yeah i don't know it just it offends my sensibility you can't you can't do that you you're an entertainment product you have you have fans that are coming to see you today and i don't know man you you owe you owe something to them yeah. No, Kevin, I, I'm not sure what you were going to say, but one thing that occurs to me in that and is concerning is that um, the cap on the, the cap on the incentive of tanking 
um, you know, having whatever even odds for the bottom three teams, I believe. Um, and as well as offering the play in, which is an extra, an extra cut of the money to be in the quote unquote playoffs. Um, those are things that are aimed at, at management. And one thing that is lost in this, and I look at, I mean, the thunder, the thunder versus the Pistons is a really good example. The, the thunder, um, you know, they have these young players that could be good. They have Puku and they have Josh Giddy and they have Shy Gilgis Alexander. These are really potentially good players. But when you sit them down the last month of the season, even I will will be homers for a second. Even some like Ty Jerome, who last year came in and scored 20 points in a number of games and was able to do that this year. But then they see someone who is good and they're like, we have to shut them down. They are too good. We might win games. So you're stymieing player development, which would also be their value if you're looking to trade them. So I'm not even sure that that's a good long-term strategy, but you know, there is nothing in place to protect the players when it, an organization has decided that we are not going, we don't want you to be really good. We're not investing. Whereas the Pistons have a very good coach in Dwayne Casey. They have a team that is not great, but they've tried to sign people. They have Kate Cunningham. They have Jeremy Grant. Um, they have a uh, uh, Sadiq Bay, who are very good and they were competitive all year. They lost most of the time, but they're trying to do something and they were able to still get a good draft pick. But it's like there's a very difference in having that long term view, which is we believe in these players, we will try to develop them, we will still be bad, but it's coming. Versus Sean, to your point, anytime you see something that looks like it might be good, being like, nope, we have to put that away for a while. And another, I mean, look, I, I'm 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 biased here, but another, you know, I, I think another example of striking the balance reasonably well is the Pelicans this season. Like, they started one and twelve with no Zion. Zion Williamson did not play a single minute the entire season. And if ever there's a situation where yep, you know, a team might plausibly pack it in. You know, that's the one, but instead they leaned into an opportunity to develop some of their rookie players. They hung close and started winning games. It You know, it helps a lot that you have Brandon Ingram, who is like a, you know, a third tier star already. Um, but, you know, they they made some smart management decisions and and made a trade for CJ McCollum who turned out to be kind of a great complimentary piece and they made the damn playoffs, you know, and, and that's, I don't know. It's a really valuable experience for, for a team to, to have those extra high pressure games. Plus they get a, they're going to get a top 10 pick out of it because they fleeced the Lakers, you know, for Anthony Davis, who's made of glass. So like, you know, there, there is, I think there is, quite a lot of value in recognizing when you know just because it seems like the season is lost doesn't necessarily mean that the season's lost yeah and uh there's a lot like a lot of excitement they quickly sold out of nice season tickets i'm sure that most of the players are you know pumped to be on the team next year yeah and that i can't imagine that would be the case for you know some some of the rotation players for the Thunder, you know maybe Alexander is pumped that he's star of the team, will get you know taken care of and everything. But 
if you're a mid-level player, I don't know if you're tied to him, you probably kind of would rather be on a different team. Um, uh, or I guess for me, for him, that's a bit of an example. He might be on whoever will play him. But um, yeah, I think it's like it's tough to have a, like if you have the long-term view in the whole championship or bust thing, it's not going to really lead to a situation where the fans are excited or the or the players are or the players are excited and uh, everything's so fluid players force themselves out all the time it, it's and it doesn't really make sense to me to to be able to pretend you could take a long-term view and execute it well yeah i think i think fortunately um in basketball especially players have a lot of guarantees and and freedom and and that is that has proven to be great um, I think what that means is like they also they want to win. They know that they're you know they get they get one big contract and then what is it like maybe a second one in their career unless you're LeBron, um, but uh, or Chris Paul as we've learned uh, or but, Kevin Durant or Kevin Durant. But so they know that they need to prove themselves, and it's like you know in your third season, going in your third season, you need to get some commitments or like oh you're DeAndre Ayton now what do you do? Um, because you're expecting that first big payday, and you 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 know if you're Jason Tatum, it's like ah I missed out on All NBA because of stupid stupid things. So there is a you know a pressure because of that freedom, but also because of you know, stipulations. I think of the other place where this is happening a lot that we know about and can be very frustrating to see the Cincinnati Reds is in baseball or the Baltimore Orioles in baseball where they they really take a long-term view and everything is like we want to be the Astros but more austere like we it, it, like and not in the Rays way like we want to we're not trying to win at all we're not trying to win on the margins anytime soon um and I wonder with that part of it is is because baseball has all these anti-labor policies of the uh service time and all the arbitration years do we excuse that the the losing and some of the long-term view stuff there because um you know baseball it's like well that's it's built into the model you you quote unquote can't make money until you're like 25 or something no, I don't necessarily think we excuse it. I think we just stop watching baseball. Um, yeah. I, you know, I, and I, if they're not going to take that as a, a punishment, then that's that's on them. And, and they're they're making some choices about how they want to run their sport. But like, yeah, the, the number that you you mentioned, the anti-labor policies and the, the number of explicit incentives for MLB clubs to engage in naked gamesmanship with how they approach signing players with how how they approach you know the development and and bringing forward of their elite prospects in order to maintain maximum team control you know it's it's gross it's really it's very off-putting uh, and and the just what the whole the whole Baltimore Orioles production right now is is really, it's just generally upsetting, uh, and you know, I I think at the end of the day, we're, we're we're giving these executives who take, we're giving them credit for taking the long view, and really like, I I'd, I'd almost make an argument that the 
they're taking the uh, the long-term view that most benefits themselves because what's a better way to on paper to instill longer term job security in a, a sport notorious for short turnaround times than to convince the world that there's a larger plan at play and that you need to be retained for as long as possible to see it through. Yeah. I, I mean, there's, there's a, there's a portion of this that, that feels like, um, uh, in, in the big short, uh, Batman who uh why uh Christian Bale Bale. Christian Bale's character is like you gotta wait you gotta wait you gotta wait it'll pay off and you know what it does and he is the only person in his office at that point and and I just think that there's this there's this idea that these are you know whiz kids from Wharton and they they know about how to how to corner the markets and and make bets and everything but like they're also this mindset. I feel like a lot of this hedge fund stuff is like, here is this, here is this bet, and I'm going to be quicker or faster, or or I'm going to be in, able to interpret this better than anybody. And I know it's more complicated than that, but like there are so, so many permutations and ways that games are won and lost. It is not just like this single thing that you have to time correctly. And and I think there's this idea that we're supposed to think of these things the same way and you can game them and and everything else now and it's it's all about the way you management and it's just i think it's just comparing things that are not the same you know just like being like well i was a successful businessman so i can run an entire country they're not the same thing or like i can beat the market in the long term there's a a reason there's a reason that index funds exist yeah How's how's that crypto during out there folks there's where we've like reached a point where the the true market inefficiency is like fielding good players yeah and and maybe that's that's the question is can can you have long-term thinking for you know and can your team have long-term thinking and you accept that as a fan and i think critical to that is like are you putting out a competitive product that instills you with some level of optimism as someone who watched a lot of wizards games um no i i don't i don't know how it happens and i do think of of the nationals too which is it ends up burning you and i just watched it here with the atlanta baseball team is like you build up these these foundations of your franchise and then the business side kicks in and you realize, you know what? We got to let Bryce Harper go because we're gross penny pinchers. And I just, you know, I, I, I do think that in baseball, I'm, I'm maybe more likely to allow it to happen, but I don't know in basketball, I think it's really hard to, to accept, you know, a long-term view when you're not getting the competitiveness you want. It just it comes back to this point that like there's a difference between having a long term view and only having a long term view. Yeah. This I, I you know for for all of for all of the you know the supposed innovation about it because you know no one else was really doing it at the time. Like 
I don't know. I, I I'm sure I I'm sure there's some component of this that is just me being a hater, but like, I don't know. I found Sam Hinkie profoundly uncreative. Uh, that's and I think that's the thing that upset me the most is like that this guy was getting credit for being some uh, some genius, you know, Rip zigging when everyone else zags. Yeah. And really, he just realized that high draft picks are 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 more likely to produce elite level players than lower draft picks. And so his whole value system was, I am going to do everything I can to amass the largest number of high draft picks possible. Like, that's not, I don't know, man, that's not really innovation. Well, I think really what it, what it was is that he, he said that the ultimate goal is a championship and, and nothing else. And so he was trying to maximize the chance of winning a championship, but also was perhaps maximizing the chance of Philly just being a pariah. And I think that like, it's nice that the, the, the caps and the Nats, they had these runs where they were kind of choking at and UVA basketball and they were kind of choking and they eventually broke through and won the championship. And I, it's, I don't know that I can confidently say this with respect, but like the, the ride where the team was just good for a while was great. Even when they were, you know, losing in the in the playoffs, I was still really enjoyable to be a fan of them. And I think if they wouldn't have won it all, I'm like, well, that was still I still like that better than if we just sucked for ten years and then happened to win a championship after that. And and the thing is, is that's the difference between you know setting a goal. Is your goal to win games, which is to be competitive, I would say, or is your goal to win championships? Because the Oakland A's won a lot of games when you know as billy bean started to moneyball it because it was like how can we produce wins how can we stack those wins but you get into the playoffs and it is a crapshoot i mean the nba is the same way all of a sudden you have seven games to beat to beat a team um so i think that i agree with you kevin it it's very fun to watch uva do really well in the acc you feel you understand the rivalries and you you feel kinship with that team and everything else and every game is is a is a competition but you get into that playoff type mentality and it does change because you've gone from how do i get the most wins in a season to how do i just beat this opponent in this series or this matchup well and billy bean you know the the billy bean a's were also operating with a different set of admittedly self-imposed market constraints than the rest of the teams in their sport. So it wasn't just like, how can we produce wins? Their whole deal was we've got to have a, a team payroll, you know, for, for whatever bad reasons, like we have to have a team payroll. That's probably, I, I don't know, like a fifth of what the Yankees are going to spend. And, you know, that's made possible because baseball doesn't explicitly have a salary cap, even though, they absolutely have a salary cap, but because they don't have the explicit salary cap, there also is not like a, an explicit salary floor like there is in the NBA and NFL. So like if you want to be Bob nutting and spend, you know, 95 grand on your entire pirates starting lineup, uh, you know, you can, you're allowed to do that in baseball in a way that you're really not allowed to do in other sports, you know, uh, everybody else, everybody in the NFL is playing 
on basically the same playing field money wise and so you know you get you get a little a little less of this really obvious disparity yeah and in the nba the a thing that is another con- concept of the hinky the hinky stuff was like well you can't always sign free agents because maybe they won't want to come play in philadelphia totally. but then it's if you look at Giannis and milwaukee it's like well milwaukee kind of they got a coach they stuck with him when everyone wanted him to be fired they milwaukee just made Giannis feel really welcome they got him good players around him and and you know that worked out for him and like same thing with like Jokic. it seems like he likes denver a lot denver drafted jamal murray and michael porter jr the bucks drafted chris middleton in the second round and had that pan out they traded a million picks for drew holiday which like uh they'd probably do it over again if, if we were running this back like they they wanted to win a title but like i I don't know. They they have they absolutely deal with some of the same some of the same constraints in terms of like whether or not Milwaukee is really a, a free agent destination. You know, these teams that that have a star player to build around can kind of solve some of those things at the margins, but they're still not really destinations for marquee free agents for that reason. Like they wouldn't have been able to sign if if Giannis had been drafted by like. You know the Hawks or or the Wizards or whoever, and became a free agent. There's no chance he would have signed in Milwaukee. Of course not. And just just a small correction because I remembered this and I enjoy it. Um, going into his second season, Chris Middleton, Brandon Knight, um, and a guy that we've never heard of uh, were traded uh, to the Bucks for Brandon Jennings. High draft pick did not work out. Um, and and uh, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, but but yeah, I think I think your 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 point is is still well taken. Yeah, uh, arguably even just reinforces it. They they traded they traded for this kind of tossed off asset. Like Brent, you know, I'm sure that uh, Chris Middleton was seen as something of a, a throwaway in that in that deal. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's just it's it's extremely frustrating when everybody's expectations are not on the same page and you know probably are all unreasonable in some way or other and like philly is a perfect example of that the management has unreasonable expectations of what they're going to be able to put out their fan base absolutely has unreasonable expectations because it's a philadelphia sports team and you know and then we wind up once again looking at the end of a season and Joel Embiid publicly trashing his teammates in a press conference after being eliminated it's like a second christmas and for me man I love also it. the the also the irony of he got hurt when they were blowing another team out so keeping him in the game wasn't quite quite a long term view <laughs> doc rivers in the last 15 years known known for his winning ways am i right <laughs> something like that um all right well let's uh let's put a lid on that for now and and move on uh to pierce is sorry what are you apologizing for today um so uh as of today i no longer have a fence in the 
front yard of my my uh, house, um, and I had had one since I moved in here, um, but had it had worked on taking some of the fencing down this year uh, myself, um, and that was that was okay, except for this one thing where uh, I decided that. So you take out the fence in between the post and then the post standing up, um, a contractor told me, he's like, oh, there's just like 18 inches, two feet uh, underground there. And I knew that that's encased in concrete. So one day, um, one afternoon, there were others here observing, which is which is important. And those are the people I am I am apologizing to today um, because I decided that I was going to unearth one of those fence posts. How hard could it be if it's just two feet of digging? Well, let me tell you, two feet of digging, it just just to get that out, took a solid hour. And and did I come out of it thinking that I could do that for the other however many fence posts? Yeah, I sort of did. But the others observing it, you know, decided after a while thinking about it, they're like, you know what, we're gonna get some people to remove the this fence for you. So I feel I feel bad for that because my intent was not to guilt others into saving me from myself. Um, but that's just to say, like, part of, of you know, as, as you grow older and you live in different places, I think an important thing to learn is at some point you need to call a professional and understand that you are not a savvy amateur. So um, know thyself. All right. Uh, great. Uh, we'll do a big idea from pop culture now. And... Uh, we just spent the last half hour talking about the the problems that occur uh, when someone operates solely with a long term view in mind, um, and the the big idea this week uh, comes from a time when someone very much only had a short term view in mind, uh, following a recommendation from. Uh, Spencer Hall of Channel 6. Uh, I, I checked out a bunch of books from uh, from his recommended reading list from the library. And uh, I, I talked about the George Jones autobiography about a mountain of cocaine and a river of whiskey. Uh, but that was not the first uh, Channel 6 recommendation that I read. Instead, I read a book called billion dollar whale which is a uh a a rundown of a a a fellow by the name of joe low who uh was at the center of one of the biggest financial frauds ever perpetrated in the history of the universe the extremely impressive the one (laughs) yes the one mdb scandal in which uh, literal billions of dollars were uh, swindled out of the Malaysian sovereign wealth fund um, and used uh, for for many things uh, from expensive mansions and uh, very, very expensive New York real estate to tens of millions of dollars of art and jewelry uh, to wooing the supermodel Miranda Kerr uh, to financing the Wolf of Wall Street. So uh, that's it's, very poetic, actually. I think it, that that it, was a good it's, move. It certainly is. Uh, so would would highly 
highly recommend uh, if you have any any interest at all in the the gripping tale of a a scammer run amok. Um, and yeah, and really, who doesn't love a scammer run amok? Yeah, those sovereign wealth funds. There's always something. There's always something in that banana stand. They're very curious. Well, and not only that, but the most one of the most amazing things about this particular fraud is that you know he fooled so many people. It's hard to you know put a spoiler on a nonfiction book, um, but you know one of his strategies was like setting up a, a shell company called like BlackRock Investments Limited and it's got no connection to the well-respected financial firm at all but because it's got a similar name it just kind of tricked people that weren't really paying attention because they didn't want to pay attention because they wanted to ensure great profits for themselves like many of the people that ran Goldman Sachs at the time including one Gary Cohn. Ah. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Billion Dollar Whale. Great, great read. Highly, highly recommend. Uh, and, and now we'll do a Rolling Stone rock trivia question. Uh, would you guys like a question about New York or a question about Los Angeles? I think in honor of the west coast birthday boy we should do los angeles okay uh all right let's let's do that uh the name of the los angeles prosecutor that michael jackson lambasts on the song ds from the album history is a christopher darden b marcia clark c steve cooley or D, Thomas Snedden. C. I'm going to go D. All right. Pierce, you are correct. It is Thomas Snedden, uh, who MJ had a, a grudge against uh, because during the 1993 investigation into possible child molestation, Snedden ordered that Jackson be strip searched. So, not a fan. Uh, well, good on you, Thomas Snedden, for trying to hold him accountable because he was a very bad person. Whew. Okay. Ruined many lives, I'm sure. All right. That is the end of the show. You can find us at our home on the web at www.prettyokpod.com, or you can subscribe to the show feed on your podcast app of choice. Uh, that way, episodes will show up for you automatically every week. If you do that, please tell a friend about the show. We would love to share it with them as well. We'll be back next week to talk about something else. Until then, I'm Sean. I'm Pierce. I'm Kevin. Thanks for listening. Bye.